Hello everyone. This week we are watching an episode of The Nanny in which the death of a parent plays a key role in the narrative. And as a result of that, I get quite honest and uh, emotional about my own experience with with uh, parental death. If that is a topic that is sensitive for you, for any reason, whether it be recent or not so recent, do feel free to skip this episode. No one will judge you. No one will hold it against you. And we'll be back next week uh, with another episode. In the meantime, if you are going to listen to this one, Let's jump in. Hello and welcome to Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I'm Ben. I'm Mandy. And apparently it's barbecue night. It is barbecue night because our neighbors have decided to have a barbecue. I mean, they have a barbecue pretty regularly. They they do have a barbecue pretty regularly, uh, but they have decided tonight to do that. And no, no judgment against them. If I had a barbecue, I would probably have a barbecue night too. But unfortunately, for us in terms of like recording a podcast, their barbecue nights also entail copious amounts of alcohol and sitting on their porch talking loudly which is not conducive to recording a podcast in fairness we are recording this on a on a different night from usual so if anything we're interrupting barbecue night with our podcast they don't know that we're recording a podcast though yeah they should we should what we should do is do an email blast out to the a one mile radius saying hey could you keep it down while we're recording (sighs) our podcast about the nanny those people also that doesn't are you gonna email to the airport yeah i'm gonna send it i'll just call the airport and say hey we're trying to record it listen i get that you're trying to uh facilitate uh, both international and domestic flights that's great bully for you i wish you the best but we are trying to record a podcast about a 90s sitcom starring a fading star, Fran Drescher. And it needs to have the best audio quality possible, even though the show has kind of shitty audio quality. Yeah, so if you could do us just just a massive solid and just like ground your planes for, I'm going to say maybe two hours just to be conservative. We'll text you when we're done and then just all the planes can take off at once. I'm sure that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's no problem. Yeah. You tell you what, it'd be really good for all the other podcasters in the neighborhood. I'm sure there are lots. Everyone's doing a podcast these days. Yeah, I mean, this part of town, that's probably yeah. correct. DiGiorno has a podcast. Oh, what's this podcast? Uh, it's the... Wait, never- no, <laughs> we, we gotta pay or promote. Uh, he Venmoed me 20 bucks earlier, which is why I brought it up. Uh, it's called the I've Never Been Fed cast. It's about what it's like being a cat who has never been fed and the difficulties inherent in that kind of, of lifestyle. Never never mind that I gave him ham not three minutes ago. A full slice of ham, I believe. I didn't give him a full slice of ham. Well, I gave him a little pizza ham. you give him a full slice of ham, he a, says. I gave me a full slice of ham because I am a full... Slice of Mandy. Now, he did, you are a full slice of Mandy. <laughs> now, I do have actually the ad copy here that he paid me to read. And it says, I've never been fed. I've never been fed and you refuse to feed me. Why do you refuse to feed me? This is the worst. Also, support the Patreon at <laughs> I've never been fed dot horse. Boy, I hope I've never been fed dot horse is not a real domain. And more to that point, I hope it's not a real domain that points to something terrible. I really hope that this bit ends soon. He hasn't paid me uh, enough to end the bit, only to start it. So I have to keep, for the duration of the podcast, I'm going to be talking about his podcast. Okay, so what is what is our podcast normally? Uh, normally? 
<laughs> normally, normally uh, we watch an episode of the '90s sitcom *The Nanny*, starring Fran Drescher. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's a very special episode. Yeah, uh, today it's because it's a season finale, it's, and I guess other things. It's a season finale, uh, which is uh, we're very excited about, but also. Uh, might notice this one came out a bit later than they normally do because it's yeah. also a very special episode. It got me. It fucked me up to the point where both times we were read, we, we watched the episode and then we were going to record. And on both times when we watched the episode, the end of the episode broke me as a human being because of my very specific traumas. So speaking of which, if you are also someone who might have very specific traumas or general traumas regarding uh, loss, particularly loss of family members or parental figures, uh, this episode's going to be a rough one. Yeah, I'm almost certainly going to be talking about that and my experience with that. So I, uh, I heads up for that. Uh, apologies for that. Also, I'm going to do my best to keep things kind of light and fun and funny and easy breezy beautiful. But there is a non-zero chance that I'm gonna I'm gonna go into a heavy place, and I apologize for that. I'm giving you fair warning. That's not your thing. Totally cool. We'll be here next week with. It's okay. One. I'm here with all the goofs. I'm here with all the goofs. Yeah. Also, I got, Mandy's got your but goof bases. I got probably. a clown nose and some big shoes. I got all the goofs. Yeah, and I will stress those are not things that she's wearing special. She does usually wear those, so she's fine. DiGiorno has decided to play with every toy. Yeah, DiGiorno has a toy fish with a bell on it. Because fish in nature do have bells. So it needs to be anatomically correct. And he loves it. He loves that stupid thing. (laughs) He did just throw it. And then he looked at it with disgust and contempt. He's, he, he was just kind of glaring at it like, you're nothing to me. You're dead to me. He's, this is this is great audio. This is super, he's walking uh, away from Two people watching a cat and just describing the cat. Another this po- is so fun. It's this an, is why you should subscribe I'll to us. I'll tell you us. what, it's another popular feature on DiGiorno's podcast, the I've Never Been Fedcast. The I've Never Been Fedcast has a segment called, what am I playing with now and why am I already done with it? I do need the audience to know that he is fed twice a day and he is fed expensive canned food because he doesn't have any teeth. He sometimes gets fed three times a day if he's able to convince one of us that he hasn't been fed. And then sometimes he begs for treats and is very adorable and we have to give him treats because of the, the, the law here in the state of California. About if you're cute, you get treats? Yeah. Yeah, I take advantage of that. Yeah, I buy you so lot. many double stuff Oreos. Yeah. Yeah. Not uh, time of recording. The Nabisco strike is over. Yes, I we want do to need make to that clear. That. Yes, I didn't buy any any Oreos of any stuffing quantity during the Nabisco strike. Uh, I did get you instead a Happy Smile brand filling biscuit. Yeah, it was fine. Fill that biscuit. <laughs> uh, what episode of the Nanny are we watching? Uh, we're watching episode 22, I Don't Remember Mama. And if you are watching along on HBO Max, it is also episode 22, but it is not the season finale. They have additional episodes uh, at tacked on to it. Wild. Should we talk about it? Yeah. So this episode begins with Fran on the phone with her mom because Mother's Day is coming up and uh, I guess her mom wants to go to Sizzler. No, Ma, we can't go to Sizzler. Why? Because you're not welcome there anymore. 
You took half the dessert bar home in your purse. I have never been to a Sizzler. I used to live next to two Sizzlers. Never been. What would you have to do to get banned from a Sizzler? Ask for lobster and keep asking for lobster until they kick you out. Unless they have a deal in which there's currently lobster. But that's that's just a general thing. You could do that anywhere. You can do that wherever you want, but Sizzler really don't like it. Here's a, here's a fun thing that kind of really kicks the episode off for uh, for me, is that Sizzler is the last place I went to lunch with my dad before he passed away. Oh, is that, what, ki- is that what killed him? I mean, we'll never know, yes. Uh, no, we'll n- I don't think it is what killed him, but I, you know, the man had had a heart attack allegedly, two years prior. Allegedly, you had, you, uh, you uh, signed yes. that contract with Sizzler, so you cannot say. Yeah, we, 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 we ended the A out of that thing, and, uh, but yeah, he, he'd he had a heart attack two years prior, so maybe going to a place that specializes in shrimp and steak was not the smartest move. It was a good conversation. I got to ask my dad a question that I'd wanted to ask for a very long time, which is how he met my stepmom, which was a lovely story that I'm not going to repeat because it's very personal. But she was working at a vinyl shop in Flushing, Queens, and her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. scenes. Yes, it was almost certainly that. No, uh, no, she uh, was the manager of the Sizzler. And no. Um, so this conversation, this is a great way to have a Mother's Day episode that incorporates Fran's mother without having to pay the actress that plays Fran's mother. Yeah, as you just mentioned, she doesn't spend any time. Like, you would think a Mother's Day episode would have Fran's mother, but no. Because they, they gotta get that trauma money. Yeah. It's interesting, this episode exclusively focuses on, is it Sarah, the name of... Uh, yes. Uh, Chester Meffield's late wife was named Sarah, which I think we learn in this episode. Maybe we've learned it in a previous episode, but I have a memory of a thing that doesn't... I can't remember what I have a memory of, but it's bad. Uh, But this is the first time we learn her name, as far as I'm aware. And the episode focuses exclusively on this, which is interesting, because that, to me, feels like a season two story, to me. That feels like something that... You lay the groundwork in season one, and then you can do the fun trauma-related stuff in season You know how trauma's fun. Yeah. You can do that in season two. And I mean, we did talk about this a bit in the previous episode, where it feels like this was kind of like put in the schedule out of order, specifically to line up with Mother's Day. Yeah, it was either held, it was either produced earlier and held back, or it might have been produced for season two and aired early. Uh, we don't know. Which, I mean, the HBO Max thing, and given that there's, like, some additional episodes after that, I don't know what that implies. Maybe they're all, they're all season one episodes, and they just kind of had them all Yeah. Show. Maybe, maybe they shot a couple of episodes and banked them for season two. Yeah, because it's... Uh, we really felt that uh, the previous episode was, like, the season finale episode. Yeah. This one, the actual season finale, definitely reinforces that... Uh, yeah because uh, it doesn't it like it doesn't feel like a season finale it's, it's a it is a a non-small story but it is not a season finale story it is at best a mid-season story yeah because it is it is patently a very special episode yeah um there's also i do want to make reference to there is a a joke for benjamin of uh fran is complaining about her mom wanting to go to sizzler and niles like oh i have to take uh my mom to bath and there's some delightful confusion because bath is a town yep but uh fran thinks that she needs to call social services yeah it sounds like it might be a uh like the kind of relationship you see on a on a reality series on TLC, and it is instead. I love a mama's boy. I love a mom. Look, uh, yeah, Niles is a mama's boy. 
but instead it's just the name of a town. Bath is a town in England. Well, I don't care where you did it, it's still weird. <laughs> Fran asks Niles what the kids do for Mother's Day. And Niles says, oh, we don't do that because their mum's dead and Maxwell doesn't want to make them sad. So he just fills their day with bullshit. Yeah. That's a direct quote. And Maxwell comes in and talks about how he's joining a country club. And my initial thought was, oh, this is what he's doing to distract the children. He's going to join a country club. They're going to get to try out the facilities. It's going to be fun. And that's the day. Later we discover, no, he's also doing a bunch yeah. of other shit. No, that won't, that won't fill the day. The, con- the country club is just separate. Yeah, it's just uh, a separate thing. Yeah, but then they do opening titles, and then the next scene is we are at said country club. Yay! Country club's fine. Yeah. It's a it's a nice set. It's roomy. There's a lot of extras and uh, supporting characters. This is an expensive episode for a season one. Nanny. Yeah. Do they have Do they have country clubs for in in to England? Do you it's- remember? possible i genuinely don't know if i'm being completely honest so i as as comes up occasionally i grew up in florida mm-hmm. uh, which is the lightning capital of the world and the reason okay. why it's the lightning capital of the world is that there are a lot of storms and also a lot of golf courses and so that's the thing that i associate with country clubs is because i grew up around there were like a lot of country pl- clubs mm. in which all the people I got bussed into a different high school and it was a, the rich people school um, and they all like lived on or near country clubs and golf course things. So like the this is presented as like, oh, yeah, they go to the place and they make a joke. It's like, oh, there's so many activities for the kids. And like, I I just thought there was just golf, just golf. I never went to, we did have one of our school dances was at a country club. Mm. That was like pretty much the only time that I'd been at a country club. Everything I know about country clubs I learned from uh, one specific episode of Kirby Enthusiasm. But I can't remember which one. So it doesn't, it's, I've retained nothing. And I'm <laughs> contributing nothing. Country clubs exist and they have, uh, they have a dining room and they have a pool and they have tennis and they have jolf. And that's it. I just thought it was a place where golf happened. It's, yeah. There's golf and rich people. Rich people playing golf, rich people not playing golf. So there's like, there's like no golf in this episode. I was very surprised. Yeah. Um, so they show up. Maxwell talks about how it's a great day for the family to spend the day together. And then they all separate off to go and do their own things. Yeah. And then there is a lady who is talking about all the, oh, they have different events. Like they have a pageant going on for like a mother-daughter thing. A mother-daughter beauty pageant. You two should sign up. Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I meant them. <laughs> now that you're not attractive in your own right. <laughs> But Maxwell makes it very clear that he has a full day plan for Mother's Day. They're going to go to all these different places. Actually, Maxwell, why don't you tell us what your plans are right now? Yes, we have the uh, Guggenheim, the Radio City Music Hall, Empire State Building, Circle Line Tour. That's all. Then lunch. And a zoo, then uh, Statue of Liberty, FAO Schwarz. Why don't you just chloroform until Monday? It's a full day. Yeah. It's a very full day. And... I think, uh, is it Fran convinces Maxwell that actually doing the pageant would be a good idea? Yeah, because Gracie is actually kind of into the 
the idea. Oh, so the lady takes uh, Gracie off to meet the children. Gracie has a, like, I am not a people person line. Um, she and, describes herself as a loner. Yeah. Maxwell and Fran go over to, I guess there is also a buffet or there is food of some kind. And Maxwell is talking about how it is a bad idea. And Fran is stuffing her face with food while also mumbling just kind of like mumbling unintelligibly, but doing it something mm. that Maxwell is like talking, like going back and forth. So it's a one-sided conversation that is a two-sided conversation. It's a fun bit. Again, it feels like a... Is he attacking his own shadow? Oh, he... I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a very... I don't know if I Love Lucy has ever done this. DiGiorno, please. I don't know if I Love Lucy has ever done this, but it feels like an I Love Lucy moment. It yeah. feels like a... That kind of one-sided, two-sided conversation feels like a kind of old-school sitcom thing. Mm-hmm. It's just a good little bit between them and showing like good chemistry between the two and how they're so defined in their roles at this point that Fran does not actually need to be saying anything for the scene to go on. Yeah, it's it's good writing, it's well-performed. But the crux of it is that Fran convinces Maxwell that the pageant is a good idea, which takes us back to Maxwell House, where we watch Gracie saw Fran in half. And this whole scene is fucking wild. Yeah, It's it, insane. They, they play the entire bit straight. Like, they, yeah. the entire time we are meant to believe that Gracie has, in fact, sawed Fran in half. Fran is uh, two separate bodies now. Her her head and her feet are separate entities that are, like, interacting. It was also a thing of, like, so Gracie's doing this magic trick. She cannot find the instructions. They found the instructions for Easy Bake Oven instead. So she doesn't know how to do the trick, but it is actual ass magic that is happening. Yeah, it's very, it's so wild to me that like, the, the, the show treats this as Gracie has actually cut Fran in half. Like it's not uh, Fran Drescher like com- compacted into a, into this box, which by the way, she was and wow. I did not know she was that flexible, but the show treats it as as an actual severance that has occurred. She has been split in twain, and the show continues this illusion even after the the, the scene ends and we're no longer she's no longer cutting her. Yeah, so there's also a great bit where uh, Cece comes in, she sees Fran in this uh, state of disarray. Everyone else leaves for one reason or another. I think they're going to look for the instructions. Oh, yeah. So looking for the instructions because uh, they don't they also don't know how to undo this. Yeah, if they, what will happen is they'll pull out the blades and I guess just blood will come gushing out. Yeah. Um, but Cece enjoys this of just, like, spinning Fran around and putting her body in, like, two different locations and, yeah. uh, much to Fran's horror. It's, yeah, it's, it's treated as actually kind of body horror at the end. And there's a joke later, uh, about Fran complaining that, you know, there was an itch on her foot and her foot was in the other room. It's like, no, your foot was in the box. Your foot was... In the box with your hands, just in a cramped, immovable state, you were not cut in half. The there show was is... a, who was that other lady? Who was that other lady whose yeah, feet were there? There is no other lady. The show is con- just convinced that Gracie is a 
fucking wizard. Like she's legitimately cu- like this is actual like she pull her pull her out of whatever fucking boarding school she's in and send her to school with the worst witch. Like she is absolutely <laughs> like give her an owl. She's ready for, like magic. She did it. That's re- and they're like us plaza. You know what? I'm starting to c- have concerns about the universe in which the nanny is set in. Are there are, are wizards real? Are, are witches real? Is Maxwell saving up to send her kids to the unseen university? What the fuck does the show want us to think? I mean, actually, what the show wants us to think is ha ha hoo hoo hee hee fun fun magic time. But the implications of this, <laughs> the implications of this, magic is real. You're gonna be watching the rest of the series, uh, looking for the the spark of Gracie's magic. Yeah, it's this is it's fucking Matilda. Like it's it's. it's <laughs> <laughs> it's Matilda 2000. Like <laughs> Gracie is Matilda 2000. She can cut women in half. It's oh no. What if it's not Matilda 2000? What if it's um Firestarter or Carrie or something? <laughs> like Yeah, cuz uh, given that it's Gracie, uh, Carrie yeah. seems a little more likely. Yeah, it's it, this has the potential to break bad very quickly. Like how is this how does everyone not react different. What this has me thinking now is that this is kind of a uh, a that Twilight Zone about the kid with the cornfield X WandaVision. Like Gracie is a child and she's manipulating. Re- like her mother dying broke her, and now she can <laughs> manipulate reality. And she's chosen to live in a sitcom version of The Sound of Music. Where her mom is still dead, but yeah. there's but there's this other lady here. She can't do necromancy. That's <laughs> too much. That's a, you can't bring back the dead. That has whole. We've seen that. We've seen Pet Cemetery. We've seen Pet Cemetery Two. We've seen the remake of Pet Cemetery. We know it's bad. There's no good uh, like there's no good turnout for raising the dead. And Gracie, powerful, malevolent wizard witch that she is knows this. I cannot bring back the dead, but I can cut my nanny in half. <laughs> Terrifying. And there's more magic, there's actual more fucking magic later in this episode. Because they go to the 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 the, the, the country club and they've entered this contest and Gracie is talking about how wait till they see our magic trick, and Fran has decided, oh, we're not doing we're that. We're not doing that. I was just on the night. I got cut in half. <laughs> she she has agency in this moment, and her agency is I shall not be split in twain again. Well, it's because they're out of the house and yeah. because they're further away, the magic that Gracie has over over Fran to manipulate her to make her like follow along with it this like the spell it's further away so yeah. it's more difficult to do it's difficult to maintain and obviously we spoilers for later season i think it's like season three season four maxwell and fran find the uh this the philosopher's stone in gracie's bedroom and the powerful magics it radiates and, and the reality warping and they start to question the nature of their relationship and, you, and the we reality also, that they live in and we find out that gracie's actually like this 80 year old woman who's just been in bed the entire time yeah but she's been using her brain powers to look because she wants to have her childhood yeah it's it's i mean it's Grim stuff. Um, there's a reason that this aired on the Sci-Fi Channel in its original airing in the <laughs> 90s. Um, but yeah, uh, F- F- Fran is 
kind of talking about how all all she sees all the other mothers at the pageant kind of hovering around the judges and talking about how oh it's so crass then she sees a gap open up and she runs over and she tells gracie don't talk to anyone and the minute she gets up another girl sits down and, and we had briefly, uh, so we had been introduced to uh, these people previously. It was a mother and daughter. Clearly, they are very fancy. They're like, oh, they always win the pageant. They're so great. Um, there was a great back and forth between uh, that mom and Fran where they were comparing uh, pageant times because Fran has also been in pageants, but kind of the caliber of pageants that they have been in is a little different. It's a very fun back and forth between the two. I will say this, though. How does she win the pageant every year when the celebrity guest who appears at the end of the episode is also competing? Unless it's also her first year. Who knows? Mm. Furthermore, who cares? But uh, Fran gets up to go and talk to one of the judges. The daughter comes over. Gracie, very smart. Ah, I'm not supposed to talk to you. I'm not supposed to talk to anybody. The girl goes up and she's acting like a half. She's like, oh, I hate pageants. And uh, trying to like definitely like sidling up and doing it in the way of like, no, I'm not here for pageants. Pageants don't matter. Pageants are so dumb. Gracie's too smart for that. She's like, no, I haven't been t- I've been told not to talk to anyone. Go eat worms. And But then, ha, the girl, the other girl says, hey, your mom's really pretty. And, and Gracie says, well, actually, that's, that's not my mom. It's the nanny. And that girl fucking she road runners out of the scene. <laughs> and then later, uh, like moments later, as Fran is returning to Gracie... One of the the country club judges is being dragged over by the mother and her shitty little daughter. Her daughter, by the way, looks like someone brought an American girl doll to life. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, the, the the mother's complaining, hey, she's not really this girl's mother, so they can't really enter the pageant. She's a fraud. Uh, and- to which Gracie is forced to admit of like, oh, yeah, it's because I don't have a mom because she's fucking dead. Hey, Way to ruin yeah. the moment. Now I'm real sad. And then she runs off of this set and onto the Maxwell House set. Like Carlton running around the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air set after he thinks he's killed someone. <laughs> It's not actually like that. But she does apparently, I guess, run all the fucking way Yeah, home. it is. This is the weirdest pageant because it apparently goes over multiple days. Because the next scene is them at home, even though, like, previously at the pageant, like, they were doing talent. Like, the talent yeah. things were happening. But I guess, like, maybe it's something of, like, this was so devastating that they decided, okay, we're going to just pack this up and go tomorrow. Which sucks if you have been preparing, like, if you were supposed to go next. And then they're like, no, you got to fucking wait until tomorrow. Ah, But the narrative hinges entirely around Gracie's perspective of the world and what she wants to happen. And this is someone intruding into her reality and injecting the darkest of truths that your mother is dead she is gone and that pauses reality as fran returns home and maxwell is talking to gracie and talking about how um you know i shouldn't have made you do the pageant it's my fault and gracie says shut the fuck up don't, that, don't pin this on you don't don't internalize this you piece of shit Well, they actually do have a really nice kind of heart-to-heart conversation in which Gracie reveals she doesn't remember what her mother looks like. Sweetheart, I do understand how you feel. All those other girls with their mummies just reminded you how much you miss yours. But that's what's wrong. I don't miss her. You don't? No, I, I don't remember her. Oh. Which 
also plays into the whole magic thing going for my explanation which is not that she's an 80 year old woman that she's a young girl coming into her power if she doesn't know what her mother looks like she cannot conjure her into existence yeah and going into uh what the actual fucking show is it just is payback for maxwell's constantly trying to avoid talking to their mom trying to avoid making them be upset that now she can't remember. And because she was very young when Sarah died, there's a moment for while uh, we were a little too distracted to talk about how Fran was cut in half. But while she was being cut in half, there's a moment where uh, Brighton and Maggie are fondly remembering their mom and how she used to sing. And she would always sing off key and just kind of like, they clearly, like, they were old enough that they have these fond memories. Yeah. And Gracie doesn't have any of those. And that's really difficult for her. Maxwell apologizes for that. And Gracie asks, would, would mum have wanted me to do the, the pageant? And Maxwell said, your mum loved you and would have wanted you to, would have done anything you wanted her to do. Yeah, it's a moment for Maxwell to like finally open up. Because it's kind of also becoming clear that he's saying that he's like not talking about Sarah for the sake of the children, not upsetting them, but it is, this is a wound that he has to deal with. And so he has to open up and do that. And so he's learning to do that for his daughter and letting, uh, letting her know of like, yeah, this is what your mom was like. And she loved you. And you, she would have wanted you to go off with the nanny. (laughs) She would have wanted you to run away with the woman you sawed in half. (laughs) And so Gracie says she's going to do the pageant. She's going to kick some butt, which Maxwell does not approve of the use of the language. That's definitely more Fran's doing. And then they, we cut to their performance. They're back at the country club. How much time has passed? Doesn't matter. She's magic. She's a magic. She's got a fucking time turner or a TARDIS or some shit. And she's gone away and she's come back. And her and Fran do the uh, upside down, draw a face on your chin with an upside down head like the Vindaluvians from Red Dwarf. I am Tarka Dahl, an ambassador of the great Vindaloo Empire. And they, and kind of, you know, arts, tiny arm head puppets. Yeah, they, they sing the anything you can do, I can do better. Yeah. I like, I don't remember doing this, but like, I remember in the sense of like, there's a picture of my dad and I doing this. Mm. And because of that, like, if you grow up with a picture, you feel like you have the memory, but yeah. actually you don't have the memory. You just have the picture and your mind will fill in the memory because I was like two or three at the time. So I don't actually remember it, but there are pictures that we've gone through of like my dad and I doing this and his being even weirder because it was a he had a very hairy chin (laughs) (laughs) but the whole the the weird thing is hey let me ask you a question about the scene because they're poking their heads through a kind of black fabric and it's ostensibly their heads are upside down let me ask you a question where are the bodies in this scene yeah also uh worth noting so they're like in a little like one of those like puppet show theater yeah, kind of things a little theater box um, kind of deal. that just has like thin legs behind it nothing can stand there's nothing behind it there's not people standing behind it the shadow doesn't because the other thought i had is well maybe if they're lying down behind it no there's no shadow of their bodies the only other way the only other place for their bodies to go is up and they're not going up. I think this was probably shot top down. Yeah, if I was, had to get it was shot. But um, to your to your Gracie's uh, magic person, if she can saw Fran in half, she can saw her just head off and heads. just put and yeah. just make it float. 
Yeah, Gracie. Gracie is small enough that she probably doesn't have to dismember. Oh, that's not herself. that's not even their head. She manually turned Fran into this horrifying. That's her creature body and made her. It's a sing. nightmare. Yeah. yeah, they do the performance. They sing the song. They get a round of applause. We see them go into the dressing room with the the puppet bodies and the the makeup on their chins. And this is where we have our celebrity guest star show up, whose name I will not pretend to remember. It's Patty Labelle. It's Patty Labelle. It's Patty Labelle. And uh, this is uh, is this one of the first times where it's like a celebrity guest who is like they're they're just themselves. It's, it is Fran is freaking out because it's Patty Labelle. Yeah, I think there is the, the other the other example is the audition in the second or third episode. Oh yeah, um, but it's not something the show has done a lot of yet. It is something the show will do a lot later. Yeah, but this first season, it's <laughs> it's an infrequent occurrence. As yeah, you told I feel me. like they have in the first like that first season. It's very much like they take a moment to like, oh, you're gonna play a character in this episode, and I feel like later on they're just like. Now just come on and just be yourself. And the yeah. the bit is that we will be happy that you're here. Yeah. And then you do the thing that you are famous for. Yeah. Which here, uh, it is Patti LaBelle. Uh, Fran is very excited to see her. Patti LaBelle compliments uh, their performance. Uh, Fran, which Fran is all happy about, but then is also confused. Like, hey, what the fuck is Patti LaBelle doing in like the final like six or seven minutes of this episode? That's when uh, Patty LaBelle's daughter comes, mm. and they are also in the competition. And they sing a song that I cannot remember the name of, but it's definitely, I feel like it's a contemporary song. Like, it's it maybe like a new single or something. Yeah, the, That's the, the feel thing, I got from like, it. the thing with them, because it's supposed to be like the Patty LaBelle and the daughter are singing together. Um, it reminds me of there are these videos of uh, Mariah Carey singing with her kids. And when Mariah Carey sings with her kids, she makes her kids sing the backup vocals. Yeah. They are not allowed to sing the lead. Only Mariah can do the lead vocals. Awful. And it is something, I mean, they do it a little bit, a little better. Like you can like, like on the second viewing, I could kind of hear uh, the daughter, but it is, she's very she's low. buried in the mix. Compared to, like, we are here for Patti LaBelle. There are definitely moments where they cut to her where she's not so much singing as she is just kind of moving her mouth. Yeah. And that, I, I imagine that was probably just jitters on the part of the child actor. Um, this- I mean, they probably just, like, told them, I wouldn't be surprised if they're both lip syncing. Mm. Uh, it's like, we're, we'll play something. Yeah. Uh, this felt like a low budget version of the, the, Christmas song scene at the end of Love Actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it felt but like. It, but imagine if the Christmas song thing, but at least the kid in the at the end of Love Actually was actually singing the yeah. goddamn song. What if instead, like, oh yeah, here's the kid, the kid that that other kid who's actually like a full grown adult, forty year old man, uh, is <laughs> singing along. Uh, He's sixty years old. Yeah, he was thirty when he made Love Actually. <laughs> And he just hasn't gotten any bigger. He's the same size as he was. He's like a cat. Yeah. He just doesn't get bigger. He's very small. He's shockingly tiny and he shits in a sandbox. Uh, but imagine if that girl would be like, oh, we're so excited to see the girl you got a crush on. And she's just quietly singing while they have, uh, it, yeah. and they got Patti LaBelle. And yeah. it's just to watch Patti LaBelle. Yeah. So we cut to the living room at Maxwell House and uh, Gracie and Fran have a first runner-up ribbon. Yeah, uh, Brighton is complaining about the fact that Gracie uh, won't take off 
her ribbon and asking who would be so happy about a first runner-up thing, to which we cut to Fran is wearing, probably displaying her first runner-up ribbon. I do feel like is a point possibly against your uh, Gracie is controlling the universe theory. Who who controls the universe to get first runner-up? You Gracie has self-esteem issues <laughs> and work cannot allow herself to take first place. I'll leave her alone. How many times in your life do you become first runner-up in a beauty pageant? Counting this one, 12. <laughs> uh, Fran has made tapes for everyone. She's yes. made tapes of herself as a child. Yeah, they uh, mentioned this at the beginning that that is uh, what Fran's gift to her mom is. Mm-hmm. She's uh, got a lot of old home videos and is going to put them on a tape Mm -hmm. so fran is showing it to them and these are because i know that fran drescher's actual mom is credited as young sylvia fine yeah so i believe that these are just actual home videos from fran drescher they definitely feel authentic like there's a there's a it's not shot to look like it was like a home video home movie it is i think fran drescher's actual home movies that they've digitized and put up on the screen Mm -hmm. but then maxwell comes in with a video treat of his own it's a pornographic film he made no it is not he's showing gracie how she was made yes it's a (laughs) film of gracie's conception and gracie looks at it and says i remember that no (laughs) Uh, it's 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 home video of when all of the kids were very very tiny. There's a young Brighton and there's a young Maggie and a very very tiny Gracie and there's Maxwell uh, flopping onto a uh, lawn chair and it is clear Niles is the one filming this. It's very clear Niles is the one filming this. Niles has a couple of quips. We worked on that spontaneous wave for hours. <laughs> um, and then we get uh, Sarah. We get a shot of Sarah Maxwell's late wife uh, playing with a very, very young Gracie and it's a very tender moment and Gracie says, I remember that. And, and that's the part where you cry every that's time. That's the part where the both times that we watched this episode before we tried to record, I collapsed in on myself like a poorly built deck of cards. I just, it just broke me. Um, I was fine with the whole episode up until that moment. Like that moment, that moment was just so tender and real um even uh like gracie's line delivery felt very real to me and believable to me and it just really hit me hard really hard Yeah. yeah it's a it's it's a very like tender end to uh the scene it just kind of pans over all of them watching it fran like kind of like reaches back because uh maxwell's standing uh behind where fran is sitting and fran kind of reaches and like holds maxwell's hand because this is also clearly emotional for him um and then as as benjamin tries to control their sobs uh they play the outtakes of the anything you can do i can do better (laughs) it's a really i mean outtakes aside it's a re- it's a really tender, very it's the realest moment of the episode. This is an episode where they cut Fran in half and play it straight. Like she's definitely cut in half. It's not a different set of legs. Those are her legs. And at the end of it, we get this really touching, really emotional moment that that I feel like the show the show's been silly enough to earn this moment of 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 kind of realness yeah. and. I think also because it comes out of left field, it just shredded me. It just tore me up. 
And the first time we watched, we were supposed to record afterwards, and I just couldn't. And I thought, we'll watch it again, because I still want to keep it fresh of, fresh in mind for the second time. And I thought, I'll, I, I know it's coming this time. I'll be fine. And I thought, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Gracie says, I remember that. And just, I collapsed inwardly, folded in on myself. Um, so for this recording, this is our third attempt. And the first time we've actually hit the record button, we haven't watched it beforehand. We didn't, because I can't. I physically can't. Like, we had... We had a genuinely had a conversation earlier this week about should someone else record this episode with you because this mm. is a re- this is really hard for me. I don't expect everyone to know my history. I'm very online and I have a you know a, I I have a fan. There are fans of the various bits of nonsense that I've done, but um, I don't expect everyone to know my history, which is that. Um, in September of 2014, I flew out to England to surprise my mum for her birthday, and she surprised me by being dead when I got there. She died while I was in the air, and it is one of the hardest, most difficult things I've experienced in my entire life. I'd never had a loss that big, and just kind of the, the sudden nature of it, and the, the weight of it, and... The, because I'd also... You lose a day when you fly to England, so the day my mum died is actually two days long... And then I flew back at the end of September. I came back to LA and my dad, who lived here, about three, four weeks after I got back from LA, uh, from England, my dad passed away. So I lost both of my parents very suddenly in a like an eight-week window. And that's, that's, that's trauma, you yeah. know? Like, we've made jokes on this show before about I have trauma. That's, the, that's part of the trauma. That's not all of my trauma. That is part of it. That's... that's big recent trauma that is that that makes watching things like this difficult and we whenever we watch anything with a you know a a, any kind of parental connection or a parental figure who passes away it hits me really hard yeah even when it's dumb goofy sawn in half bullshit like the nanny yeah and i i wanted to give you that option of because i knew that it was very difficult for you to kind of watch this and kind of talk about it and process it and particularly do it in something of this is Overall, a, a comedy podcast are trying to be light about it when it's something that is difficult. But I, I really appreciate that you took the the time and kind of the emotional energy that it takes to kind of watch and talk about this because I, I was personally interested in hearing what your pers- like your perspective on it and like how that emotional beat kind of uh, hit because I don't. I have not experienced uh, that kind of loss. I am kind of watching it secondhand and I don't, I feel like it's really easy for this kind of thing to like fall flat or be cheesy or there's, there's a joke about a very special episode being kind of like over the top and hammy. And so seeing your actual like genuine reaction to it was, I think kind of framed like how I felt about the episode of just like seeing how you kind of processed it. So yeah. with that, what did you, what did you think of this episode? Um, I thought this was a fun episode. Like ignoring, no, I don't want to ignore the gut punch at the end. And I will talk about that a little more, but like, I think the sitcom stuff is fun sitcom stuff. I think it is, a, this is, a, this episode is another perfect example of the, uh, I love Lucy esque nature of the nanny as a show. It is it is nineties. I love Lucy. Fran Drescher is Lucille Ball in the nineties. You know, um, and I think the show does a really good job of that. But also walking the line of heart 
Like, the conversation between Maxwell and Gracie is such a real conversation. It is a real conversation. It is a conversation that I'm sure parents, well, well-meaning well parents who have lost their partner, who have wanted to protect their young children, mm-hmm. have have probably had to have. There are probably, there are probably parents out there who in wanting to protect their child from the impact and trauma of the loss of a parent have inadvertently caused that child to forget. And that's not, I'm sure, an easy thing to to deal with. And that's, as you said, that's kind of Maxwell kind of realizing what he's done. And that can't be easy for any parent. That's Mm. that's a, a, a tricky thing to, to deal with. And also, and also Gracie not being able to remember her mother. Like I, I, I'm terrified of forgetting my mum's face. I'm an adult and I'm terrified of forgetting my mum's face. The last time I stood in the same room as my mother was in April of 2009. And she passed away in 2014. And one of the reasons why I wanted to fly out and see her, one of the reasons why, you know, I tried to make that trip happen, one of the reasons why friends, you know, contributed. I had did a, I was unemployed at the time. I did a GoFundMe and so many friends came to my aid to help make it happen. And I missed her by one day. And one of the reasons why I wanted to make that trip is I knew her health was failing, I knew she was struggling, and I didn't want the last time I saw her to have been five and a half years prior. And it has now been twelve and a half years since I last stood in the same room as her. And when I dream about my mother, I dream about the woman who she was when I was in my late teens. Like, the woman who, you know, who who listens to me vent about, you know, tough times in high school, who... Um, supported me when I was going to college, who supported me when I dropped out of college, who tried to be there for me during an abusive relationship, and who supported my immigration, who supported me kind of chasing something, whatever that was. I don't know what it was at the time, and I don't think she did either, but she supported me wanting to, to make that move. And that feeling of, I don't remember what she looks like. I'm terrified of waking up and not having, and not having her face in my memory my subconscious already pulls from you know the version of her from 15 20 years ago yeah um, so i'm sorry <laughs> oh, no. oh that's actually kind of something that i thought about while watching this episode of there's a, a mention at the beginning when niall says that they don't talk about sarah uh they don't really acknowledge uh her death and Fran makes a joke of if we didn't talk about the dead in my family we would have nothing to talk about but food great thing about funerals you get both (laughs) and i do it is kind of a a gap in uh us being the ones to talk about this show is that we do sort of lack a jewish perspective and this is a show that is very heavily uh focused on jewish faith and jewish culture um and i think that this is also an episode that kind of focuses a lot on that of like the difference between how Fran as a Jewish woman kind of processes and takes in death versus how Maxwell, who is waspy and kind of supposed to read as like kind of that Protestant uh, sort of thing of uh, very uptight, of uh, like, we do not speak of this. We don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to show also kind of a very, upset. Very restrained kind of British character. Yeah, as well, like having that restraint. So. And it goes to show like, okay, what the, the problem is, is that to as you said of that fear of forgetting of that fear of like if you the thing is if that you don't think about it then that memory will fade yeah. and it's like one of those things like it, it hurts but 
you have to allow that hurt in order to allow that memory to to stay yeah. there and so that you can also experience like at the the ending it's very much of it is a sad thing but it's also a loving thing if they get to see how much their mom loved them and cherished them and actually getting to like see her it's just a really strong indication of here's the things that like fran is bringing to their family yeah. of a here's an entirely different perspective on how we honor our dead yeah We've made some WandaVision jokes, but there's that line from WandaVision of what is grief if not love persevering. And there's a there's a variation on that that I heard, uh, I don't know how many years ago, but certainly after my parents died, which is that grief is just love with nowhere to go. And you have to allow yourself to grieve. One of the reasons why, I had a breakdown in 2015, you know this, I think some of the audience knows this. Um, one of the reasons why I had, had my breakdown is I didn't let myself grieve. I you know, I, I was in England. It, it was kind of difficult to, it's difficult to process a loss like that when, I mean, I'm, I was around family and friends, but I wasn't home. You know, LA had been, at that point, had been my home for seven years and I couldn't go to the places that had become familiar to me or see the people that had become part of my day to day. And so I felt like I was trapped in this other place, this bubble. And then my dad died and my dad died the day after I was offered a job that I would start that Monday. And I made the choice to start the job and not ask to, like, can I start in a week, two weeks? Can I give myself some time? Because I wanted so desperately to cling to something normal. And in doing that, I just didn't process the loss. And and because I didn't process either loss, they it kind of erupted out of me in a dangerous, self-harming way that I don't... I have a six-month gap in my memory because of that, you mm-hmm. know? We met during that we gap. We met during that gap. Yes, I don't remember the first time we met, but I do know that you made, made an impression because when we, first time I saw you after that period, I, I knew you, I mm. recognized you. But all this to say that I think this is an episode that, as well as being a fun, goofy sitcom romp about a pageant show, about a talent contest, about soaring Fran Drescher in half, about Patty LaBelle. About Patty LaBelle. Singing over a child. Just really, just really showing, like, my pipes are so much better than you, you small child. Yeah, about uh, Gracie as a mind-warping warlock. It is also a very special episode. And this is, I think this will always be, to me, this is going to be a special episode to me. Because it does touch on that subject in a way that feels believable and real, despite the fact it also takes place in an episode where Fran Drescher's legs are itchy. In the other room. <laughs> Cece has a great episode. Cece she has got, a great time, she, she yeah. Just got, she just got to torture, she just got to torture yeah. Fran. Cece has a blast in this episode. She is loving every second of it. Speaking of, so this is our final episode mm. of the season. What do you think of the season? You know, most of it's, it, it, on balance, it's actually very good. This is a strong start for a sitcom. It is a strong start for a sitcom where it's 22 episodes of mostly good stuff, mostly solid episodes, a couple of duds, certainly some problematic content. But I really, I you know what, I'm I am enjoying this show. I'm enjoying kind of rediscovering the show again. And 
yeah, this is a really strong season. What did you think? What did you think of season one? So watching the show in syndication as a kid, I feel like you almost never actually get the first season. Mm. You get like a random mid, like middle of the season kind of, yeah. uh, middle of the series uh, kind of episode. So a lot of these I'd only watched very recently. And it's great kind of seeing like how they start and sort of where all of these character relationships both platonic and romantic where those kind of form yeah um i feel like they came out of the gate like very strong yeah and doing it as a like here's friend rush's vehicle i feel like they did a great job with that and i was kind of i was almost expecting when we started this of like okay we're gonna watch an episode we're gonna have fun but there's gonna be the episodes that are slogs that we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time talking about other stuff uh, just so we can fill it out because the actual episode isn't that good. Um, we had a couple of those. Uh, we like uh, Maggie the model is still it's rough. Is it's bad. Very bad. Um, and not just because it has Andy Dick in it, although he has his role to play. And also, don't forget uh, about the uh, anti-Asian uh, stuff. Yeah. Also, the episode is just horrible. It's all bad. But it's. Those are almost few and far between of you get like some really good things, some even they're not great, they're enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And I I also I I've enjoyed the season and I'm looking forward to uh moving into more. Yeah. Like some of my favorite sitcoms are shows where you get a really solid idea of like the characters some sitcoms start off and the characters are not fully formed yet. And you can tell that they're still trying to figure out who each character is. And there's definitely a little bit of this. I think CC is a little one-dimensional mm-hmm. this season. But the best sitcoms, you you have a, f- a fully formed idea of who these characters are within the first few episodes. I'm thinking of things like Frasier, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Red Dwarf. You know, these are shows there where they, they, very, they hit the ground running. And I think the, the nanny does that. Um, and the fact that you have... 22 episodes. I think I only didn't like four to six of them. That's not bad for the first season of an American sitcom. Like, you expect a lot of filler in an American sitcom because they have to make an episode a week every week for 22 weeks. Yeah. And that's, as a a writer, I can't imagine having to work under that kind of... I cannot imagine (laughs) it. It, I have a headache now just thinking about (laughs) it. But they pulled it off. Like, for the most part... With, with a couple of dud episodes and some episodes that have some jokes that don't quite land or some problematic stuff, like some of the fat shaming stuff, like some of the digs at mental health early on. I think for, on balance, this is a really strong first season. Like this is like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, 30 Rock. It's not that level of humor, but it's that level of like the strength of knowing what they're doing and, and executing on that concept. Yeah, like, even to your point of Cece's kind of the weak point of it, of they don't have her character yet, but they still have cast Lauren Lane, so they have a very strong personnel yeah. of just, like, having someone there who is strong that you can at least form a character around. And even the stuff that where she's not getting to do as much uh, this season as she will in later seasons, but she's still strong throughout. Yeah. She's great, and it's a great cast, and I'm really looking forward to jumping into season two and seeing, now that they know they have a hit show, what happens next in terms of the production, in terms of the performances, in terms of the writing. But before we start season two, I think we need a little diversion. 
I think we need to visit another prior project starring one of the cast members. Ooh. And I'm thinking what we should do next week is watch the Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2 episode, Elementary Dear Data. Now, we've watched this episode before because I told you that Niles is in it playing Moriarty. And you know what would be fun to do? Let's rewatch it and talk about it for the show. I think that's a nice end of way to celebrate the end of the season. We take a little trip away to a project that one of the cast was in elsewhere, and then we come into season two with a fresh perspective. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel like that's going to be that'll be good. So next week we are going to watch Star Trek: The Next Generation season two, episode three. I've forgotten how early in the season this was. Elementary, dear Data. Data dons a deer stalker to solve a Sherlock Holmes mystery in a holodeck recreation of Victorian London. That'll be fun. That's the nanny. That's, That's like the, the nanny. nanny. Yeah. In the meantime, I want to thank everyone who's listened to the show so far. Who's got through the first season of the show with us? Um, if you enjoy the show, do please tell your friends, family, people on social media. Independent podcasts like ours, itty bitty baby podcasts, live and die by word of mouth, and we would certainly appreciate yours. You can find us on social media. The podcast is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Out on Her Fanny. Our website is oofcast.com. That's O-O-H-F-Cast.com. Mandy, where can people find you on the socials? Oh, wow. You did you did my whole my whole job. You did my whole job. Do you want me to tell them where to find you on the socials as well? Yeah. Yeah, Mandy's Mandy Quesadilla. Quesadilla like the Mexican foodstuffs. Uh, you're on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and you can find me, I'm Ben Padden, on pretty much everything. Padden like the Mexican foodstuffs. Yes. I could just go for you gotta a deep... go. You gotta go to a real authentic place to get it. I could it. really go for a deep fried pattern right now. <laughs> oh, God, that's so good. The cheese alone. If you like Doctor Who and Actual Play Podcast, we're coming to the end of our third season of The Game of Rassilon. I think we have uh, five episodes left, so we're, we're getting there. You can find that at adventuresintimeand.space. You also, uh, you recently relaunched your Patreon. I did, yeah. I relaunched my personal Patreon. You don't have to support it if you don't want to, but you can find that at patreon.com slash Padden. I have some cool stuff I'm working on. I mentioned my sci-fi comedy audio play series, Jump Leads. Uh, there's a webcomic at jumpleads.zone, but I will be doing behind-the-scenes stuff for patrons probably after we finished recording all the episodes in mid-October. Yeah, and... I- we don't we don't have a Patreon for this podcast because it's just a fun thing that we're doing currently. Um, yeah. But we live together, so if you want to, that's kind of like giving podcast money because I will get that money. Reg- I will get my half. Yeah, I'm not going to push the Patreon frequently on this podcast. It's not what it's for. It's just there for people. But I'm going to push it. I'm going to push it. <laughs> I want you to have a little note and be like, this is for Mandy. This is not for you, Benjamin. I should add a tier that is the Mandy tier and it's anyone who backs at that tier, Mandy gets all the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening to Out on Her Fanny. A podcast about the nanny. I've been Ben. I've been Mandy. And yes, we, we do, do know, know it, it means, means vagina. vagina.
Grand.